Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Badass of the Week is an iHeartRadio podcast produced by High Five Content. Another swordsman cries out as Miyamoto Musashi's katana strikes home, slashing his enemy viciously across the chest. Two more leap out at him. Musashi whirls, a sword in each hand, lashing out at his assailants in a tornado of razor-sharp steel. More surround him, lunging with a variety of deadly weapons, spears, clubs, and blades. But Musashi faces each of them in turn, parrying their attacks, countering with slashes and stabs. His eyes filled with fury, his fierce visage more demon than man, his fighting style that of a cornered beast. The Yoshioka clan believed they could avenge the honor of their fallen master by ambushing him while he was off guard. But Miyamoto Musashi is never off guard. And now, he is going to make them pay for their treachery. Hello and welcome back to Badass of the Week. My name is Ben Thompson and I am here as always with my co-host, Dr. Pat Larish. We are. We're back for part two of Musashi, a quick turnaround, as quick as a samurai strike. So as we were talking about earlier this week, Musashi has come across the Yoshioka clan, which was a very well-known school for sword instruction. They have their own style, they have their own weapons that they're masters of, and they actually were the trainers for the Ashikaga Shogunate, um, which was the Shogunate just before the one that is currently installed in Japan uh, in the year we are talking about, which is uh, early 1600s. So Miyamoto Musashi is this very eccentric samurai, and as we talked about in part one, he is trying to kind of walk the earth 
to fight all of the great masters of sword fighting at this time. Um, Japan has just kind of ended the warring states period, so they are in this period of peace. Musashi is a, is a fighter, he's a ronin, but he has no wars to fight, so he wants to train himself to become the greatest swordsman who ever lived. He's also kind of an eccentric weirdo and like kind of a dick sometimes. So mm-hmm, we're going to yeah. talk about that a little bit too. <laughs> yeah. But he's a ronin and and he's wandering around challenging famous sword fighters to to duels uh, to test his skill as the as the greatest warrior. And he hasn't lost any of them yet. He's killed several of Japan's greatest warriors um and he has not lost a duel yet. Well, Two of those most recent duels uh, were against the leaders of this Yoshioka clan, the trainers of the Ashikaga shogunate. Musashi was going to fight the older brother, the patriarch of the clan, and they had this very public duel in front of the the, the fighting school where they trained their their, uh, their martial arts students. And Pat, do you remember what happened with that one? He totally humiliated him. He It was a wooden sword duel, and whoever hits the other guy first wins, so he hit him and utterly humiliated him. So he went off and you know that swordmaster went off to a monastery where he could be embarrassed in private. <laughs> yes, that's right. So he fought, the guy's name was Sijuru, um, and there was a fight and Musashi with one swing broke the guy's arm and he was so embarrassed that he uh, went off to become a monk. And then the younger brother yeah. steps up. Yeah, the younger brother, uh, his name was Denjichiro. And do you remember what happened with that duel? It went even worse for him because instead of wooden swords, they were using actual weapons. Well, okay. Instead of wooden swords, they agreed that it was going to be a fight to the death. And Denjichiro used this iron pummeling device. Musashi used a wooden sword. Even so, he still showed up late and killed him with one blow which sucked for Denshichiro and also made the Yoshioka clan very, very embarrassed. They lost a lot of face. Yes. So over the course of, I'm not sure how much time passes between these two duels, but I imagine it's probably pretty quickly. Um, Musashi disrespects the, the leader of the clan. He shows up two hours late to the duel, breaks the guy's arm with one swing. The younger brother takes over the clan, wants to fight to the death. Musashi shows up late again, hits him once with a wooden sword and kills him. Now leadership of the Yoshioka clan has passed to a 12-year-old boy. His name is Matsushichiro. He is, uh, you know, he's the head of the Yoshioka clan because he inherited it, but he's he's 12 years old and, you know, yeah. Miyamoto Musashi killed his first person at eight, but uh, this 12-year-old boy has no experience with killing anybody yet. And he's more of like a figurehead of this clan than an actual mm-hmm. master who will like lead them forward. So instead of Matsushichiro personally dueling Musashi, he still has to avenge his clan's honor. So he goes to Musashi and he says, you know, we will have a duel. Um, we're going to fight at a nearby temple and we're going to fight at night and you will fight a champion of my choosing. Mm-hmm. Musashi says, okay, yeah, of course, I'm always up for a fight and, you know, show me your best guy. I've already, you know, kind of stomped uh-huh. the top two guys. So let's see what number three looks like. Okay. So I have two questions. One is, um, I'm sure you'll answer this. Who is the guy that they put up as this third champion he's going to go against? And also, did you say nighttime? Yes, nighttime. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they're going to fight at night at a temple. That's unusual, right? It's extremely unusual. Yeah. Yeah, because aren't the duels usually 
during the daytime so all the townspeople can gather around and you have an audience. Yeah. And, you know, like it, they can, you know, having these duels during the day in the town square solves a lot of things. Number one, you can make sure that like nobody's cheating and the fight was mm -hmm. fair and square. So whoever won or lost, like at least it was an honorable victory. Um, and the other thing is that people like to watch this stuff. The, the warriors oh, yeah. are doing this because yeah. they like to show off. Yeah. They're kind of like, you know, the, the ultimate fighting champions or the boxers of the time period as sports heroes. They go out and they have these duels and they, you know, are movie stars basically. And also, like, the crowd likes to come watch these things. So saying, like, hey, meet me at this temple at night to fight my champion, who is uh, TBD, that's, uh, you know, that's some red flags. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's got some red flags. And you want, ideally, in theory, you'd want a lot of witnesses to make sure that everything's fair or that everything happens the way people said it did. And also, especially since this is supposed to be, like, revenge to restore the Yoshioka clan's reputation, you'd think they'd want you'd think they'd want it to be public. Instead of like maybe spreading a rumor that, oh yeah, our guy nicked Musashi's elbow and now our honor is restored. Like I, I don't I, I, this does not compute. What's going on? You're right, Ben. I have questions. There are red flags. Yes. But you know, if we go back to the analogy of Miyamoto Musashi as being kind of one of these great wandering samurais that you see in these old, like, you know, Kurosawa movies, that kind of thing, he suspects some stuff too, but he's in. He's not going to say no. That's, that's, a, that's a blight on his honor to say no. So he's in. So Musashi goes to the duel. He shows up that night at the temple, and there is a lone figure standing underneath the tree there. And it is this 12-year-old boy, this new master. He's there with a sword in his hand. And it seems like maybe Musashi's going to fight this guy. Hmm. The kid. Mm-hmm. Fight the kid, yeah. Hmm. And so Musashi, to these first two duels, he arrived late. But one thing that's interesting about this night duel is Musashi arrived on time. Because I think, because of what you were saying. Uh-huh. There are red flags. And people are expecting him to arrive late because they think that that's his MO. But actually, his MO is to think things through and think, okay, what's going to work best for me in this situation? Because he he's shown time and time again in the past that he's thinking ahead. And he always seems to have a plan, an idea of how he's going to take on whatever the challenge is. And here the challenge is, okay, a duel at nighttime with a lot of red flags against people he's fought or like a, a clan that he's fought twice before with a particular style. So he's going to maybe assume that he's going to psych them out. He's going to be like two or three steps ahead of them, you know? Yeah, exactly. So he figures it out and he outthinks them. And instead of showing up two hours late, which is how he showed up to every other duel that we've seen him fight with this Yoshioka clan, he shows up to this one two hours early uh -huh. and he hides. Uh -huh. And as he's there hiding, he sees a bunch of Yoshioka guys walking around and starting to hide in the bushes and behind rocks and behind pieces of the temple. And he, he gets the drop on him. He sees like, this is an ambush. They're going to just all come out and jump me. These guys are armed with all manner of weapons, katanas, spears, bow and arrows, even a rifle or two, probably. Like, we don't know Ooh, for yeah. sure exactly what they were armed yeah. with, but rifles existed. And I think that they mm -hmm. wouldn't be above just trying to shoot him if they could get away with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He knows that something's not right. And so when he gets there, he watches these guys set up. So what um 
what do you think he does here? Because he's kind of hiding and he's seeing that the 12-year-old boy is going to stand under the, the thing, call me out to the duel. As soon as I come out there, all these guys are going to rush me from every direction and, uh, and, and just execute me. Well, one of the best ways to defeat an ambush is not walk into the ambush in the first place. And he's kind of not doing that because he's hiding behind a bush. They don't know that he's there. And this is Musashi. So I'm guessing that he might ambush the ambush. Yeah. And that's what he does. And so the numbers of this encounter range. Some some versions of it, there's five or six guys from the Oshioka school. Some, the numbers go up to like 60 or 70 people, right? It, 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 it's somewhere between five and 50 uh-huh. Yoshioka clansmen all set up with these weapons hiding in the bushes. Um you know, a lot of the legends yeah. are the higher numbers because that's a more, yeah. you know, like the Cyrano story. It's a little bit more flashy to talk about. Mm-hmm. What we know is that Musashi's outnumbered. And, you know, five fighting five guys at the same time with a samurai sword is still extremely difficult. Yes. <laughs> no matter what yeah. you see in the movies, this is a big yeah. ambush and you are heavily yeah. outnumbered. So he sees that these guys are, are are hiding, they're in the grass, they're getting their weapons ready, they're talking about where to stand, some of them are going to hide over here, and he he's kind of watching this happen. Yeah, so they're just puttering around, maybe they're just kind of still figuring out the details, like, okay, what should our signal to attack be? Maybe they, you know, need to take a leak, whatever, yeah. Yeah, and while they're all kind of planning the ambush, Miyamoto Musashi ambushes them. He does what no samurai or ronin ever do. He takes the katana in one hand and the wakizashi in the other, and he charges out and attacks into the ambush with one sword in each hand. It's oh, it's not that's how not yeah yeah it's not how swordsmen usually fight. So samurai in these days rarely ever fight with the katana in one hand. It's really heavy. Yeah. We've talked about it before yeah. on the first part of this episode. It, they fight with the katana in two hands. It's a two-handed weapon. Yeah, and they're heavy, and it's not easy to maneuver that thing with one hand. But Musashi is extremely strong, so he's got the samurai sword in one hand, and he's got the wakizashi in the other, and he is fighting with both hands. Um, it's really, uh, it's really rare. But when you're outnumbered uh, by as badly as he is, even if you get the drop on the ambushers, uh, that oh, that yeah. drop doesn't last for very long. And before long, no. everybody's kind of aware of what's happening, um, and uh, and and he's in there fighting them. But on the other hand, Musashi has caught them off guard. So what does he do in the window of time? While they are off guard. He's not supposed to be there. He's always late. They're like, what? Does not compute. He's way earlier than he's expected. They're still setting up. Yeah. So like, try to put yourself in their position to picture this for a second. We talked about it before. He suffers from heavy eczema. So his face is all scarred up. And at this point, he's probably got some cuts and scars from his previous sword fights. His hair is all unkempt and unwashed because he doesn't shower because he's worried about being ambushed in the shower or the bath. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, he's totally just this ragged mess dressed in these these kind of loose clothes. They're not the cleanest. And he is probably looks like a demon or some kind of wild animal out there. And he's extremely mad that they were about to dishonorably ambush him. And so yeah. and this is at night, too, at night in like the, you know, the, the torchlight of this temple, probably. Um, mm-hmm. And he is just charging into this crowd, cutting a swath uh, towards the master of the Oshioka clan. He is killing anybody that gets close to him. And then, and then the important thing is like once he starts getting closer to Marashichiro, you realize that like 
you know, Musashi has won his first two duels with wooden swords, but to this one, he brought real swords with real blades, and he's using one in each hand, and these guys are falling with every swing of his weapon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So he gets to 12-year-old Matasuchiro. What happens? Uh, well, first he slashes the kid, right? He kills all these guys that are along the way to him and he hits this kid with a sword and puts him down. Oh. Yeah. And then, um, and then he fights his way out and escapes into a nearby field and runs away from whoever's up. He, like, you know, say what you want, like killing a, a, a preteen boy is maybe not extremely badass, but, but this kid challenged him to a duel and was yeah. about to ambush him and murder him. And, you know, we have to put this in perspective in that way, right? Yeah, like, yeah from Musashi's point of view. Yeah. Musashi was eight when he killed his first person. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. different world. Yeah, and that was yeah. it. You can't, uh, that's the end of the Oshioka clan. It's it's done after this. The entire school, the entire school of sword fighting disappears because there's no one left to teach the fighting style. Yeah. Now, I assume there are members of the extended Yoshioka clan doing other things, like not teaching swordsmanship. Yeah, they're actually extremely famous for dyeing clothes and kimonos and, and you know, like applying colored dyes to clothing, like traditional Japanese clothing. Um, nice. But so they pivoted. They pivoted. Yeah. Yeah. The sword fighting arm of the Yoshioka clan was done uh, and it yeah. had been basically single handedly ended by Miyamoto Musashi. Yeah, single-handedly, although for that third challenge, double-handedly. Very fair. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, double-handedly <laughs> removed by Musashi. This is like something out of like a cowboy movie, right? Or like a John Wick. Oh, yeah. We talked oh, about yeah. John Wick before, yeah. too. Like, mm -hmm. just, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. And this is also like, I think I have talked before about how he fought with a sword in each hand, but this is the first time that he is recorded doing this. So it was mm -hmm. even more amazing at the time. Like, especially yeah, no I one was expecting it. Yeah, especially if you are at like a school that teaches sword fighting, you've never seen this technique. You're like, what is happening with this? Yeah, um, yeah. And that's it. That's what Musashi does. He has this um, multiple styles, multiple techniques, multiple strategies. He can sometimes have a wooden sword, sometimes have a weapon in each hand, a spear, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like he he doesn't just know how to use um only one weapon. He can use all kinds of different stuff. So he's like a master of not only all these different sword fighting styles, but or fighting styles, but he also can outthink his opponents and uh, you know, be better than them and faster than them and smarter than them. That's the, that's an advantage yeah. of having multiple different fighting styles, right? Like, oh, nunchucks, yeah. I don't know how to use these, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like in a D&D &D adventure when like your hero, your character is like very well versed in one weapon and then you find an awesome magic weapon that your guy doesn't know how to use. And you're like, well, mm -hmm. got to decide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And swords are so important to samurai. And yet our guy Musashi doesn't really use one. But swords for samurai are held in such reverence. Swords have names, they have identities, they have histories, they have genealogies, they have origin stories. And they're passed and down from like family to family member to family member. Yeah, yeah. And some of these swords that you now see in museums, they've been around for centuries. And you know, there's the story of like which clan possessed it and then which, you know, etc. And the sword makers are also badass in their own right, the swordsmiths. There's a story, and which I think illustrates uh, how important swords were and the craft of making the sword in addition to the craft of wielding a sword. There are these two master sword makers, Masamune, who 
is the master sword maker. And then there's his student, Muramasa, another truly excellent sword maker. Now, here's the thing. These two guys chronologically, historically, probably never actually met in real life, but their reputations are such that... Don't let that get in the way of a good story, though. (laughs) Yeah, we're not going to let that get in the way of a good story, which is, in a way, kind of what's going on with Musashi also. Like, did he fight five guys? Did he fight 60 guys? It's the vibe, right? Yeah. So, Muramasa, he's the younger one. He's the student. He's feeling really full of himself, and he challenges his teacher, Masamune, to a sword-making contest. And so each sword master crafts a sword. Each swordsmith goes into their forge and you know, pours the metals and makes the alloys and tempers the steel and this, that, and the other thing. And there's all sorts of very important metallurgical things going on. And, and then... When the swords are done, when the swords are tempered, the two of them come out and they place the swords into a river standing up with the blades facing against the current. So anything that floats down the river might bump up against the blade of the sword. And then what happens? Well, on the one side of the river, Muramasa, the challenger, his sword beautifully slices everything that drifts down the current. Leaves that are drifting down the current, sliced in half. Fish, even, the story goes, the very air itself is sliced by the blade of this sword. Can we top that? Can Muramasa's teacher, Masamune, do this? Can the established swordsmith beat this? Or is this time for the, the new guy to to win. Well, Masamune puts his blade in the river. You know, same setup. It's in a position to bisect anything that floats past it. So leaves float down the river and they're cut in half beautifully, perfectly. But nothing else gets cut. No fish, no air, no nothing. Who wins the contest? Who do you think is deemed the winner of the contest, Ben? You'd think it'd be the guy that cut everything, right? You'd think. Sword cut through the fish. Yeah. Seems better. He cut through the fish, he cut through the leaves, he cut through the very air itself. But this is a sword-making contest, not a sushi restaurant. And Masamune was deemed the winner of the contest because both of these swords are very, very fine blades. But Masamune's sword knows how to cut exactly the right thing and doesn't try to cut anything else. Right. And then these guys have kind of this reputation, you know, that that follows them. Oh, yeah. Where I think like like Masamune is kind of the more Zen one. He's like the good sword maker where his weapons are only used for honorable things. And, you know, he's he's the lawful good sword Whereas mm-hmm. Muramasa is hot-headed and his swords are, are bad in the sense that they're, they're evil weapons. They, they crave uh-huh. blood. And when they're drawn, you have, to, uh, you have to spill blood before you can return it to the scabbard kind of thing. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Even if it might be your own blood. Yeah. Circumstances warrant. And that's, that's like a true thing that, that happened in samurai times sometimes because there was mm-hmm. an idea of, you know, if you drew the katana, you were expected to draw blood. And sometimes yeah. that was like you'd, you'd 
kind of nick your finger before you put it back in mm-hmm. just to like appease the spirits. Because like you said, they believed there were spirits and things involved here, right? Mm-hmm. We talked, I, yeah, I mentioned yeah. Dungeons and Dragons earlier, but like these were magic weapons as far as some of these people were concerned and the way they talk about them and the way they think about them. Like, the spirits of your ancestors are in this blade, literally, right? And um, uh, and that's really interesting, right? It puts a lot of value on the weapon and the, the people who make the weapons. And that kind of ties us back to Musashi. He's kind of the living embodiment of the second sword, the evil sword to the people in Japan right now. And that's how they consider him. He's cutting through everybody and anyone in his way. He's just kind of owning everybody, but not just, you know, not just beating them, but doing it in the most disrespectful way possible that in their minds, they can be defeated, right? So this this gets attention of of some pretty big name guys. And this is when we're going to get into Musashi's most famous duel. He fights against a guy named Sasaki Kojiro, who is known as the demon of the Western provinces. Ooh, what's he like? Well, he's big and strong and he is very committed to the traditional ways of fighting. He is a master of the Ganryu style of fighting. Uh, It's a strength first school. It's called the School of Rock, which is, is I mean, that's what it's called. Not to be confused with the Jack Black movie of the same name, which is about a different type of rock. Right. Or the, 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 or the chain of businesses now where you can go and learn how to play drums yeah. or guitar. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm getting carried away and I really want to get into this, but let's take a break real quick. We're going to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Queen! 
Random comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, welcome back, and uh, let's let's get right back into it. Sasaki Kujiro, he is a he's an expert in the nodachi, which is like a two handed samurai sword. So you know the katana was big, but the nodachi is stands somewhere in the order of like six feet tall at a time Ooh. when the average samurai was probably yeah. five five, right? And it is a two handed sword. It requires big guy with a lot of strength to wield this thing. But it is a massive weapon, and it is extremely dangerous in the hands of a person who knows how to use it. This thing slices through armor uh, and people and anything else you want to swing it at. And so Sasaki starts hearing these stories of Musashi. Musashi is the grandmaster of sword fighting. Um, Musashi is winning enough duels and making a big enough name for himself that now people are coming to train with him. They are starting to look at him as a master. But anyway, one thing to Sasaki, Sasaki is kind of this more traditional samurai guy. And he, people start thinking that Musashi might be onto something, right? Because he's getting results, you know, he's unorthodox, but he is getting the results and people are starting to flock to him and they're starting to want to learn from him. And Musashi is talking about opening a school and he's training people and he's gaining this prestige that all of these ronin have been seeking ever since they leave home with their sword to try to like make a name for themselves. Musashi is becoming famous. He's becoming a famous swordsman. He's becoming a kensei. People are interested in him. They want to talk to him. They want to see him. They want to learn from him. Sasaki doesn't want to hear any of that. Sasaki Kujiro, he doesn't want to hear any of that. He is the demon of the Western provinces. He is the world heavyweight champion. Um, and he decides he's heard enough about this Musashi guy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what do you do in feudal Japan when you got two swordsmen who have beef? There's really only one answer, right? I'm assuming it involves a duel. <laughs> yes. Okay. They do not have a spelling bee. They have a duel. <laughs> mm-hmm. They are gonna they are gonna duel and they are gonna do it in a dramatic fashion. They are going to there's an island off the coast of you know one of these towns. And they are both going to row out to this island and have this duel on this island, and they are going to fight to the death, as you do. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Is there? Do we know if there is an audience for this, or is it really just go off, take it outside, settle it between the two of yourselves, settle it amongst yourselves? So the best uh, comparison here would be the Aaron Burr Alexander Hamilton duel, mm. where there are people mm. know this is happening, and it's but it's not. It's not the Chevalier de Saint-Georges having the big... Con- it's not like, you know, it's not a... Exhibition. Right. It's not an exhibition. They're not going to meet at, like, Caesar's Palace and have a duel. 
people are gathered on the shore to watch the fight as best they can see it on this island. But on the island itself, there's a there's a select group of a small group of people like, you know, mm-hmm. that are all kind of there to adjudicate the thing. Right. Yeah. The reps. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Make sure somebody doesn't show up with a gun or something, I guess, you know. Yeah. And the general public is at a safe distance. Yes. Got to stay back. Who knows what's going to happen in this duel here? It's has potential like geography altering ramifications from this battle mm-hmm. between these great uh, sword saints of feudal Japan. Yeah. So what does happen? So the battle is supposed to take place at eight o'clock in the morning, like kind of sunrisey uh, time period. Mm-hmm. Um, Sake goes out there. He's got his sword. He's sharpening his weapon. He makes a big show of pulling it from the scabbard and throwing the scabbard into the ocean, which at the time okay. was very symbolic that. I do not intend to resheath this weapon. I am going to fight to the death. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm not going to show you any mercy. But problem is that um, Musashi's not there. Ooh. Eight o'clock comes, it goes. Nine o'clock, there's no Musashi. Hmm. He starts rowing up. Like the, They can see him rowing towards the island about 9.30. He's rowing out hmm. there. He claims that he overslept. Mm-hmm. But as we know, he's done this before. This isn't something Musashi is just doing for the first time. He's pulling the same move he used on both Yoshioka brothers. Yeah. Trying to ice him or intimidate him or be disrespectful to him in a way that would make him angry. Just throw him off. Yes. Yeah. So Musashi also claims not only that he overslept, but do you remember the story of Masamune you were just telling and the importance Uh of like... um, sword swords and weaponry and how yeah. that said so much about you and how uh how sasaki koshiro is sharpening his famous nodachi the demon of the western mm-hmm. provinces musashi also claimed he forgot his swords uh-huh so he shows up and he's like oh ah, i forgot it sorry mm-hmm. quote unquote forgot right so he's kind of rowing out there on this on this canoe and he gets there and he gets off the canoe and he just takes the oar of the canoe and he's like, oh, I'll just use this, I guess. I'll fight with this. What do you think? And Sake's about to have a freaking aneurysm, right? Like, mm-hmm. who is this guy? I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you so hard. <laughs> I'm gonna kill mm-hmm. you so bad that nobody will ever find you again. And Musashi and him, they kind of face off. Musashi, they circle a little bit, and Musashi circles so that he has the sun at his back. They were supposed to fight at sunrise. Now uh-huh. it's like 9.30, sun's at the perfect height where it's just shining yeah, right behind yeah. Musashi's head, directly into Sasaki's eyes. He can't see anything. Yeah. Musashi charges, Sasaki charges, they jump. I think about the beginning of uh, the beginning cinematic of the original Ninja Gaiden on the Nintendo where the two like warriors jump at each other. That's how I envision this. Oof. They jump, they swing at the same time, and um, Sasaki hits the ground and drops and is dead. Wow. In some versions of the story, Musashi's headband is cut by the Nodachi, but the rest of him uh, is untouched. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know the significance of that that myth, but it, I, it makes me think of the story you just told of like only the thing that was supposed to get cut got cut. Yeah, there's precision. Yes. Focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a wasted motion. And that's the end of Sasaki. Maimon Musashi crushes his head with one swing of a boat oar. And that's how he dismisses the greatest swordsman in Japan. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, if you go to that island, there's a big bronze statue of Musashi standing there holding a rowing oar, which is awesome. Well, mm-hmm. So he's a sword saint, but the statue 
is of him holding an oar. Yeah, he's an oar saint. Yeah, he's, he's an a... oar saint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably yeah. the greatest, greatest, greatest wielder of an oar in the history of feudal Japan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably ever. Probably world history. I can't think of too many. I did enjoy the story of John Alfred Wilson hitting uh, mm-hmm. crocodiles with a boat oar during the great locomotive chase, but not really the same. Okay. Not not the same, but oars can be formidable if they're wielded by someone who knows what they're doing with them. Yes. So what does Musashi do? Does he do a little happy dance, a little booyah victory dance? Does he retire peacefully? What does he's, he do now? Yeah, he's kind of done at this point. He's 30. All of this has happened mm-hmm. in his 20s. <laughs> Which mm-hmm. probably explains. Well, he got his start at age thirteen, so right, and, and this probably explains some of the arrogance that we see associated with him. Right, it's like he was kind of a young dude through yeah. most of this, right? Yeah. And so at this point, he decides, you know, he's he's fought in a lot of duels. He's defeated the great masters of Japan and all of their at their own game. He's beaten them when they get their weapon, and he's fighting with a wooden stick or something else uh, mm-hmm. that he's not, you know, hasn't been training on his entire life. A spork. Yeah, he doesn't need to prove how tough he is anymore. He doesn't need to mm-hmm. prove himself. So he opens a school, he teaches his fighting style, and he starts getting into other things as well. He branches out. He diversifies his portfolio. He becomes an artist, a poet. He writes poetry. He does calligraphy. He sculpts. Um, mm. He writes. And he gets into Zen Buddhism and, and Zen uh, philosophy, and he starts writing about that. And he does that for a while. And when that gets boring, he climbs a mountain, goes, lives in a cave. And that's when he starts writing his books. And that's when he writes the book of five rings, which is a book that now functions as a, as a technical manual on being a badass in feudal Japan. Yeah. Uh, and that's it at the last, last half of his life, he teaches, um, and he, he writes these books and he finishes his last book, hands it off to a disciple and then just dies a week later. Yeah. He passes away in 1645 at the age of 62. Uh, his first, his first dual victory was at age 13. And um, we have him documented as winning, uh, fighting and winning 61 duels over the course of his career, which is, oh, yeah. which is basically double the, the, the score of the second guy that we've, that we have any info mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And what lasts is not only his reputation as a warrior, but his writings and the Book of Five Rings, Ben, you described it as a technical manual in the art of badassery. It's divided into five parts. The rings are named after the... The rings are basically chapters named after different elements. So you've got the Book of Earth, where he lays down the foundations of his uh, of his strategy and... Well, of his strategy, his technique. And in a way, the technique is not one specific technique, but more a general way of being. He says stuff like, do not think dishonestly, know the ways of all professions, do nothing which is of no use, etc., etc. And he also talks about things specific to swordsmanship and ways to think about approaching your opponent's body. Um, He also ends with the book of void, and he says stuff like, by knowing things that exist, you can know that which does not exist, which on the face of it doesn't have anything to do specifically with martial arts or sword skill. But this is maybe his generative spirituality or his way of being in the world 
that informs all of his other stuff. I'm sorry. That's I'm getting really abstract for a badass podcast, aren't I? <laughs> well, it's interesting though, yeah, because like this, the thing I love about the Book of Five Rings is that in some ways he's doing the like, if you want to do this, you have to do this. But it's also like, also, if you're fighting these guys, here's how you, you hold the sword up if you're fighting a guy who uses the down technique. And if you, you're fighting a guy who's mm-hmm. holding the sword to the left, you got to use the right. You got to stab him in the face in between the things. Also, you should probably take a calligraphy class at some point. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. I, I do love the do nothing, do nothing, which is of no use, which is just like, don't waste your time doing stupid stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he's also like, so yeah, so there's philosophy, but there's also like, very detailed, like step-by-step instructions on how to win a sword fight against your enemies. Mm-hmm. It's just like, here's everything that I'm thinking about right now. Here's here's all here's all my stuff. And the Book of Five Rings has kind of got this art of war vibe where mm-hmm. you can get like, you know, you can buy, people sell like a Book of Five Rings for business, which I don't really know how you would translate this for business, but I guess that's also why I'm not a successful business person. Well, I guess in business you want to everything you do you want to be of use somehow. That's fair. That's fair and you do kind of However you define that. Yeah, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of this like understand how everything works, understand like know your enemy kind of thing. There's a lot of that in there. Yeah, the the book of five rings is kind of the samurai version of the art of war. It's kind mm-hmm. of held in that same category. Yeah, some of the precepts from his Dokodo, which is the path of aloneness or the way of walking alone or any of the other ways of translating this. This is the last thing he wrote. It's really short. It's just 21 principles, just short aphorisms, short precepts. And this is something he wrote about a week before he died. And very little of it has to do with swords or being a warrior at least on the surface. It's stuff like never be jealous, accept everything the way it is, do not fear death. Okay, I can see what that has to do with being a warrior, but also with being a non-warrior also. And he, we talked about how he's Buddhist. He says, respect Buddha and the gods without counting on their help. This path of aloneness is really interesting because it's like some of them are like, be indifferent where you live. Do not pursue Mm -hmm. good food. And all things have no preferences. And I'm like, what? And this is what makes us not good Buddhists, though, Pat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he kind of does, like, he kind of finds, he finds religion later in life, and he does kind of, I mean, he lives in a cave and he has nothing, right? This is, but his entire uh-huh. life has always been, he had nothing, right? He gave up everything mm-hmm. because he wanted to travel the world and have adventures, and that worked out well for him. And then at the end, like, he just, you know, this wasn't important to him to have, like, a nice no, house and no, eat good food no. and be distracted by worldly possessions um which is probably great in principle i i I don't uh i don't know if i could live like that but (laughs) i think i'm a little too materialistic i think think it's a journey that we all walk in our own way i like it which is my way of saying oh i don't know (laughs) yeah exactly that's that's a very diplomatic way of putting that (laughs) yeah but yeah but this is musashi he's a philosopher he's a thinker he's a calligrapher he's a poet he's a guy who lives in a cave and he's also a badass fighter with a sword or wooden stick or oar or whatever he happens to be picking up could kill you with whatever he's holding in his hands right now yeah Mm -hmm. well that is the story of Miyamoto Musashi we hope you guys liked it and um, we wanted to say thank you as always for listening please do uh, subscribe to our our podcast if you liked it and um, be sure to share it with other people it really helps the show out so uh, thank you guys so much 
And remember, badasses, it's okay to think of stabbing, so maybe don't actually do it. Badass of the Week is an iHeartRadio podcast produced by High Five Content. Executive producers are Andrew Jacobs, me, Pat Larish, and my co-host, Ben Thompson. Writing is by me and Ben. Story editing is by Ian Jacobs, Brandon Fibbs. Mixing and music and sound design is by Jude Brewer. Special thanks to Noel Brown at iHeart. Badass of the Week is based on the website badassoftheweek.com, where you can read all sorts of stories about other badasses. If you want to reach out with questions, ideas, you can email us at badasspodcast at badassoftheweek.com. If you like the podcast, subscribe, follow, listen, and tell your friends and your enemies if you want, as we'll be back next week with another one. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.